Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Hey there, it's the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to have some breaking news here uh, shortly. I'll get to that in a second, but uh, first off, welcome to the program, everybody. Thank you for uh, coming back if you're a returning listener. Welcome to the show for you newcomers, and for uh, those of you who uh, support the show via Patreon, uh, then all of those patrons, deepest thanks uh, to all of you. Two bucks a month is all it takes, and you can get uh, early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the Pipeline Show. Uh, some of the uh, conversations that you're going to hear in this episode I had three, four, five days ago, in fact. Uh, so some of those have been up on the uh, the Patreon page uh, for patrons uh, for an extended period of time. So if you uh, think early access would be a, a cool thing to have and you like and enjoy and uh, appreciate the Pipeline show and uh, think it uh, provides a service uh, for you, uh, then feel free. Please, I encourage you. A couple of bucks a month is all it takes. Uh, and for those of you, wherever you're downloading your episodes uh, from, wherever you're getting the Pipeline show from, if you have a way to uh, leave a comment or a rating, that would be terrific as well, because then that might encourage other people who just maybe sort of stumble across it uh, on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. They don't really know anything about it. They can read your comment and say, hey, maybe I'll give it a try too. I would appreciate that. All right, let's get to the uh, breaking news. Uh, I have some other news and notes to get to, and then, of course, I'll tell you who's coming down the pipe as a guest today. Do have a question of the day as well, which I'll uh, get into in a second, but uh, just breaking, Owen Power from the University of Michigan invited to play for uh, Hockey Canada, at least try out to, to get on the World Junior team. It's not draft eligible until 2021, so he is an underage player, but he's a late birthday. He's off to college now and a big guy. He, I mean, he, he's 6'5", 6'6", and uh, well over 200 pounds. Uh, this is a player that we'll be talking about a lot uh, leading up to the draft. Everybody thinks at this point, top five, maybe even top three, potentially the number one overall pick in the draft. Uh, he's invited by Hockey Canada. And normally Hockey Canada's uh, World Junior Camp starts, or what, early December, something like that. And they, they'll, they'll go for a couple of weeks leading up to the uh, the tournament itself. This year, with only the Q playing and not the uh, Ontario Hockey League or the WHL, Hockey Canada has set the... Uh, the, the camp to open in uh, mid to late November uh, to try to uh, get the guys 
prepared better because they haven't been playing. Uh, well, unfortunately, that conflicts with uh, with Michigan and potentially other schools, too. I'm not sure about what's happening with, uh, well, we'll get to some of the other guys. But with Michigan, the Big Ten Conference starts this weekend. So they're going to start playing meaningful games. Uh, Owen Power, a really good player, not a lock to make Canada's team. So Michigan had said we'd love for him to go play, uh, but we can't let him go you know, a month before the tournament, uh, even more so. Uh, just at, for an opportunity to make the team. They're not necessarily saying, you know, if he's guaranteed a spot, then he can go. Uh, but I think, you know, in a normal year, he'd go in early December. And at that point, the colleges uh, start taking Christmas breaks uh, right around then anyway. So he might miss one or two games. Uh, but in this case, I think he'd be missing up to 10 games or something like that. That's a big chunk of the action for Michigan. So I can kind of understand why they were leery about it. And uh, but Hockey Canada's press release uh, today basically saying uh, Michigan refusing to let him go. I don't think it was quite as animosity filled as uh, that. Uh, I would have to think that Owen Power had some sort of uh, contribution to the conversation as well. But uh, so that's a big one. Uh, and I was mentioning that there are other NCAA players that who are invited to Canada's camp: uh, Devin Levi in net, uh, Alex Newhook with uh, Boston College, and uh, Dylan Holloway. With Wisconsin now, the Badgers also a Big Ten team. In fact, they play this weekend. Haven't heard anything yet in terms of uh, his ability to leave the Badgers and uh, go play for Hockey Canada, but something to uh, keep in mind there. Uh, the question of the day I put up on Twitter, and uh, that is in regards just with the, with everything happening uh, with all the junior hockey leagues that have started. Of course, there's been several who have been uh, teams uh, who have been shut down. They've had to quarantine for a couple of weeks because one player or up to, I think it was 18 players for the one team in the queue. There have been, it's been it's been a bumpy transition, let's put it that way. Uh, as we know, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League started in uh, early October. They've had stops and starts. There's teams who have played, the Maritime teams have played up to 12 games. There are other teams like the Quebec Ramparts who have only played two games. Uh, so a really uneven uh, rollout here so far in the queue. Uh, as I mentioned, the OHL and the WHL haven't started yet, but some of the Junior A leagues have. For example, the uh, Manitoba Junior Hockey League has been playing. They've uh, Some teams have been uh, shut down, especially in the Winnipeg area, um, and uh, other teams are shuffling their schedule around. I know they are still playing games right now in the MJHL. Uh, the SJHL and the Alberta Junior Hockey League, so Saskatchewan and Alberta. Saskatchewan started last weekend with their regular season. Uh, the AJHL starts this weekend with the regular season. Meanwhile, in the BCHL, a bunch of preseason games were uh, postponed uh, because of uh, precautions in uh, parts of British Columbia. The USHL started last weekend. There were, I think there were three games. There were also three other games, as far as I know, that were uh, postponed. So running about 50% there. Uh, RIT announced uh, early this week that uh, in the NCAA, they play in Atlantic Hockey. They're not playing this year. No games at all for RIT. The Tigers will not be playing hockey this year. So the question becomes, what's your feeling right now on junior and college hockey trying to play through the pandemic? Is there a point where you say, you know what, we gave it a good shot, uh, but it's not working out very well, and maybe we should uh, you know, take a step back and reevaluate again in a couple of months? Or do you think, you know what, let's just keep playing, and when things come up, it's about how you react and how you 
reschedule things, and if some teams have to stop playing for a while, that's fine, but other teams can keep going. Maybe it's a situation where playoffs, it's not really about playoffs and winning championships this year. It's just about playing. Maybe it's just a developmental season, and that's how we have to look at it. Um, but uh, there are pros and cons to everything, uh, but I'm interested to hear from you how you're feeling right now about uh, junior and college hockey trying to play through the pandemic. Uh, Chris Dingman, a former NHLer, says, let them play. Andrew answered me on Twitter, at TPS underscore Guy, by the way, is how you get me on Twitter. He says, I'd prefer them not to play, as we are seeing a lot of outbreaks, and it would be hard to stop them without a bubble-type environment. I think the NCAA and the USHL are more vulnerable due to the lack of response down south. Uh, Tony Ferrari, who you will actually hear on uh, this episode this week, says it's been interesting from a scouting perspective, especially with a wide-open top end of the draft, the fact that everyone from NHL teams to writers has to use video as their primary mode of scouting could lead to a wild 2021 NHL draft. So that from a scouting perspective. Another listener who follows me on Twitter uh, goes by the name of Jake is uh, filling my timeline with uh, stats about how it only affects people who are elderly. Uh, So if you want to read that, you can find that uh, on my timeline. Not an opinion that I agree with. I respect uh, everyone's opinion, but not one that I agree with there. You can get involved and uh, let your feelings uh, be heard as well. At TPS underscore Guy is where you can find me on Twitter, and you can answer the question of the day that way. A real quick look at uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. As I mentioned, uh, they've been going for the last uh, six or seven weeks now. Uh, Leading scores, it's a tie at the top. Sean Element of the Cape Breton Eagles and uh, Cedric Derouzeau of the Charlottetown Islanders. That's a tricky name for me. Uh, They both have 21 points. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers prospect Elliot Denoyer has uh, 20 points and is the player of the week. He had a four-goal game, his second four-goal game of the season. And in the standings, uh, Charlottetown uh, has the uh, top record right now. They are 9-2 and two after 11 games. If I went by a winning percentage, well, Victoriaville is perfect. They're 4-0, and oh, but have again, have only played four games. Valdor is a 4-1-1, and one, but uh, with the points, obviously, it will be the teams in the Maritimes. Acadie Bathurst, uh, Cape Breton, Halifax, Moncton, uh, all leading the uh, standings right now because they've been able to play games. Going to get to the guest list here in a second. Uh, Remind you that all of my guests joined me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Got my new shipment of Troubled Monk in uh, for the weekend and uh, enjoying some some of the new stuff. Uh, There's a couple of beverage uh, beers that I haven't tried yet and uh, got a six-pack of the uh, raspberry soda, which if you can get your hands on it because it's in limited supply and limited availability around the province, get it, though. It's fantastic. I know uh, it was... I got the last one out of the six-pack, and it was like uh, the next day. So it got drank very quickly uh, by uh, people in my household. But as always, if you're in Red Deer, you can go to the tap room. And if you're not in Red Deer, but you still want to have some delicious craft beverages, then here's what you do. You place your order online. Listen, if you live in Alberta and you happen to be in Edmonton or Calgary or St. Albert or Sherwood Park or Red Deer, you can get same-day home delivery for free. All you do is you go to troubledmonk.com, you put in the promo code is pipeline, and that's going to show up on your door same day if you order by 1 o'clock. It'll be the next day if you order after 1 o'clock, but that's going to be coming to you no charge. So it doesn't matter if you're spending, if you're buying a six-pack or you're buying six flats, 20 bucks or 200 bucks, doesn't matter. 
It'll be free as long as you use promo code PIPELINE. The guests that you're going to hear from today, two conversations I had very late last week and two that I had just yesterday. So I'm uh, putting them together. This show really should have come out. Uh, usually it comes out on Fridays or Saturdays, uh, but it is going to come out uh, as I'm speaking with you right now. It's uh, Tuesday, the day before Remembrance Day uh, slash Veterans Day if you're in the States. Uh, the guest list reads like this. I mentioned Tony Ferrari. We'll start the show with him. Looking at the uh, 2021 draft class, Owen Power does get a lot of discussion in that conversation. Tony is a uh, scout with Dauber Prospects, so we go through their uh, new rankings that they just put out. Uh, then we'll chat with uh, Corey Graham, a uh, good friend of the Pipeline Show and a uh, longtime play-by-play guy for the Edmonton Oil Kings. Just get his sense on uh, the WHL's return-to-play target of... Uh, January 8th and some of the obstacles that still have to be figured out before that is going to be uh, uh, pulled off successfully. Uh, Also pick his brain a little bit about all the WHL guys who have filtered down uh, to the junior A ranks now, but only until December 20th. Uh, Then a USHL discussion with uh, a first-time guest, Jim Leitner, who is a beat reporter that covers the Dubuque Fighting Saints in the USHL. That is a team who did play two games this past weekend. So we'll talk to him about uh, how he sees things uh, moving forward for the USHL. And we'll uh, wrap things up with Ray Cluche, who uh, hasn't been on the Pipeline show in, uh, well, in a, probably five or six years, which is a shame because he's fantastic. Longtime broadcaster of the Quebec Rempart. In the queue, there's going to be the, the seven of the uh, uh, teams based in the province of Quebec. They're all going to converge on Quebec City. They're going to bubble it up. They're going to play uh, round robin for 10 days. Uh, and get uh, a bunch of games under their belt just so they can get back to playing because uh, some of them are in the red zones in Quebec, and uh, so they haven't been able to play. So uh, they're going to go to Quebec City, and we'll talk to Ray about the plans for that and how successful he thinks that could be. So we definitely have a full slate of guests today. And the last thing before we kick it off, I'm going to refer you to Pro Stock Hockey, and you can follow them on Twitter at Pro Stock Hockey. It's a great way to see all the stuff that they're bringing in. Just today, new player gloves from the Toronto Maple Leafs are added to their inventory. Yesterday, sticks from the Washington Capitals. They also have a contest to uh, win a stick from uh, Jack Hughes. ProStockHockey.com is their website, and again, on Twitter, at ProStockHockey. They are your online source for authentic ProStock hockey equipment. Check them out today. Let's begin this week's show, and as I mentioned, we will start looking ahead to the 2021 NHL Draft. Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects, he's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Oscar Strong's draw, looking back to break it, fires and scores! There's number 50 on the season for Alex Dabrinkit. They'll pick up that puck, it was wired. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, it's one of my personal favorites, but tell the people about it. The vacation Mexican lager. When the chores are done, the lawn is mowed or the sidewalk shoveled. This Mexican lager is perfect for floating on fresh powder or floating down the river. Vacation lager is a little getaway every day. Player comparable, Sidney Crosby can do it all and is always in the conversation of the very best. 
Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> All right, this is the Pipeline Show with Keith Flamey. We're going to uh, chat with uh, Tony Ferrari from uh, Dauber Prospects and uh, get a sense of what the 2021 draft is uh, going to uh, look like this year because it is a bit of a different feel uh, to the 2021 draft uh, from what we have most of the time. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Yeah, happy to be back, Guy. Uh, good to see you. Well, I appreciate you making the time once again. And uh, I was looking at the uh, the rankings for the 21 draft, or the 2021 draft, rather, uh, from uh, from your outlet at uh, and for people who haven't uh, seen it yet, it's at dauberprospects.com, uh, and you can find it up in the toolbar under the NHL rankings. But obviously, lots of talent again available this year. But it is a bit different in that. Well, first thing I noticed is lots of defensemen this year. Is it the it's it's the year of the defensemen? Yeah, it really is. Like we we've had a couple years now where we've had good defensemen. There's there's no doubt about that with with guys like Bowen Byram, Jake Sanderson, Jeremy Drysdale. Very, very good defensemen. But this year we have a few elite defensemen at the top of the draft. And I think there's maybe three guys that are probably at the top of our board right now and that are, that are probably maybe a little bit of a step above those guys even. And, and there isn't that Alexi Lafreniere and Austin Matthews or a Jack Hughes even, but these defensemen are going to be really, really good players. And it's going to be an exciting year to track those guys. Well, and to play, play uh, spoiler alert, uh, there are four defensemen in your top four and then some forwards and Quite honestly, this is a year where it seems like a lot of people are talking about uh, somebody, somebody that might be ranked fifth or sixth right now could end up being that number one guy uh, come the uh, whenever the actual draft happens. Who knows? Uh, but uh, it's it's not one of those years, as you just said, where you, we've had Alexi Lafreniere as the number one guy for a year or two, uh, and uh, that's kind of the case for a lot of years. That's not the case here. Right now, it's completely wide open. Yeah, that's really the case. Like we we start doing our rankings and getting the, the team together and going through everything, and and what we kind of realized is there there was five six guys that we were all kind of considering. And as I was talking to other people and other scouts in, in both private sector and, and uh, public se- sector, I was finding even more names. Like I ended up finding a list. Like I put the list together, and I ended up having thirteen names that people said could go first overall this year. Hmm. And and that's ridiculously wild. And, and mind you, some of those guys are, are long shots. I, I did a uh, a little series to go with our rankings called the contender series on Dauber. And in I, each article, I had three guys that, uh, that I kind of made an argument for going first overall. And there was three defensemen at the top that, that I kind of talked about. And you just mentioned in Brant Clark, Carson Lambos and Elvin Power. Those three have kind of separated themselves to the top and they were in a group by themselves, but there's still five, four, five, six other guys that have legitimate cases for number one. Well, and the good way to see that is that in this newest ranking that came out, what, uh, about a couple of weeks ago, I guess, at this point, uh, the number five player for you is Aturati, the uh, Finnish centerman, and right next to his name is previous ranking number one. So it's not that long ago that he was the top guy. Yeah, we just released our rankings last week, and then they, the, our original rankings came out in August, and a lot of that, that August ranking was on previous year's tape and in kind of going into the year, Ossie Riley was the guy that everyone kind of had at the top of the ranking. Um, there was by no means he was left in there and, and kind of everyone acknowledged that. Even when we did our first article and rankings release, we mentioned that in his blurb that there's no guarantee that he's even here in October and November when our next rankings came out. 
And coincidentally, our next rankings came out, and he dropped down to number five. And uh, Yoki Nevalainen is the, the head of European scouting for Dauber Prospects. And he goes right, he's right in Finland. He's right on the ground seeing this kid play all the time. And even he had no problem kind of dropping him down a little bit because the quality of play just wasn't there for Atu this year. Hmm. All right, well, let's start at the top then. Brent Clark, uh, who plays in the uh, OHL, uh, tell us about him. Uh, you don't list the teams that the guys are playing for, which I find interesting because Right now, well, you tell me, why is that? Why aren't you saying who they play for? Well, the teams are listed, I think, in, on the mobile version. It's kind of a weird layout, and, and it's off to the side. But, yeah, the teams are listed there. He's playing for Barry this year. But that's a good point. Like We very well could have just not listed the teams because like a guy like Carson Lambos, he's playing in Finland right now. Right. He's going to be coming back to the WHL. So right now there's so many guys playing on teams that they might not be playing on in, in three months or two months even. So, um with Brent Clark, though, he's he's playing in Barrie. There's no signs of him signing a deal anywhere else. I wouldn't be shocked if that comes up, though. But this kid is a, a offensive defenseman. He's got a ton of skill, a ton of prowess. He's an excellent, excellent skater. He's he's almost what I've described as Jamie Drysdale with that, an upper edge. He's got a little bit more size than Jamie Drysdale. He's got a defensive game that's that's more well-rounded. And his offensive game is as dynamic or more dynamic. This kid thinks the game on another level. Honestly, he's a very, very good player. And right now he's our number one, but he's probably in a group of three or four guys that we're all really considering. Well, and I'm looking at the uh, the next three players are all defensemen. The one difference is that uh, Brian Clark is a right-handed defenseman. Is that enough? Is you know, If we're really splitting hairs between players, is a right-handed D more valuable than a left? Well, the reality of the situation is the right-handed D are generally more valuable than left-handed D, and that's just how the NHL's kind of work things out and it's always cyclical there's there's going to be a time when the left-handed d are more important and and to be honest that didn't really play a factor in our, in our rankings but it, it may have subconsciously with with brand clark though the reason he's number one is because while we kind of group all these all four of those guys really together and in, in, in the a same tier almost brand clark seems to be the guy that has the most high upside he's the guy that you see the runway in front of him and you see what he can be and he can be a really special player, a franchise-changing defenseman, possibly if he reaches the ceiling. But there's a long way to go. He hasn't played a game this year yet, so we'd still like to see him play that this year, and, and we'll go from there. All right. Well, you mentioned Carson Lambos from the Winnipeg Ice is uh, number two. It, and I'll be honest, Lambos is one of those players. It was the same thing with Sam Reinhart in his draft year and Peyton Krebs in his draft year. I never saw them play a good game or a game where it's, they really were clearly the best player on the ice. Uh, that's just in my personal view. You know, when the teams come to Edmonton, play the Oil Kings. Uh, Carson, Lam- the Oil Kings destroyed the Winnipeg Ice the the last number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't seen Carson Lambos be that standout performer. But obviously, you guys uh, as scouts will see these players a lot more than I do. So what is it about Lambos that stands out for you? With Lambos's game, it's just he he stepped into that number one role in Winnipeg pretty immediately last season as a as a 16 year old, and he he seemed to take no no. Uh, no problem with it. He, he was in, in that lineup. He was playing big minutes. He was producing at a high level. And, and what you said is kind of a good point to bring up with Lambos. Is there's a lot of times where if you watch his tape and Brent Clark's tape, Brent Clark's going to jump off the page. He's going to jump off the, the video for you. You're going to see a big wow play. And Carson Lambos doesn't necessarily have that as much. He's a really powerful skater. He's a guy that I think works excellently in transition. He's a smart offensive player, but there there is an issue with his his kind of dynamism he doesn't have that factor that, that Brent Clark has but Carson Lambos is just that guy that he's all, like we discussed it in our meeting and he, Carson Lambos could be the guy if you were to look at these four defensemen Owen Power, uh, Simon Edmondson, Brent Clark and Carson Lambos 
where if you were to put one of them on, on an NHL blue line today and say, okay, you got to play in a sheltered role. You're going to play in the third pairing, but we need you to be at least break even. Carson Lambos is the guy I'm going to trust there because he understands the, the defensive game at a mature level. He understands how to play offense at a, at a professional kind of scheme. He doesn't really try to do too many crazy things off the blue line, but he's really, really effective at getting the puck through from the point. And he, he's really effective at just knowing where to put the puck. And I was watching a game earlier today. It's uh, November 6th. And we, I was watching him play in Finland today. And he, he made this really nice play where he was able to just walk off the blue line, kind of walk into the center of the ice and get a shot on net. But he kept it low just off the pad and put the rebound. And the rebound was right there for two of the guys in front of the net. Now, saying he's doing that fully intentionally is kind of crazy to even think about. But he does this regularly. This is the kind of thing that he does. He doesn't necessarily be the flashiest player on the ice, but he's the guy that every time he's on the ice, good things seem to happen. Okay. Uh, Owen Power uh, is a guy who stands out because he's a giant six foot six and already 215 pounds. Uh, he played in Chicago last year with the Steel, off to Michigan to play uh, for the uh, Wolverines this year. Could. He's invited to play for uh, Team Canada, but some question whether uh, uh, Michigan will actually uh, let him go uh, to play. Um, I don't know if he would make Team Canada anyway. Personally, for me, he would because they're taking eight defensemen. And it seems like a good opportunity to put a, a, an underage guy uh, on the team for that experience, but I'm not sure what Hockey Canada would do. Uh, Owen Power, tell me about him as a player. Well, he's a, he, like you said, he's a big boy. He's six foot five, I think six foot six even. He came in measurement on the central scouting list and 215 pounds. So he's got the physical attributes. He's a big boy. And he's a really offensive player. He loves to push the pace offensively. And with that Chicago Steel team last year, he was able to do it at a masterful level at times. The way that team worked last year was just ridiculous. They dominated teams on a regular basis. And, and Owen Power was a big part of that. He won Defenseman of the Year in, in the USHL last year. And he led the league in scoring for defenders. And he did that as a young, one of the younger defenders in the league. This kid's got a ridiculous amount of talent. He's going to the University of Michigan and, Honestly, he could have easily been the number two or even the number one guy on this list. And the thing with, with Owen Power is I, I really want to look for him to refine some of his defensive transition game at, at the University of Michigan. Because with that Chicago Steel team, he was able to kind of get a little lax on, on staying in the offensive zone for an extra two seconds or an extra second just to see if he can make that offensive play work. And then if it gets out, he's got a reliable team behind him. And you don't always have that at the college level and you don't always have that at the next level. So He's going to be needing to, to kind of not necessarily adjust his game, but be a little bit more aware defensively when the puck's coming out of the offensive zone. But, I mean, if that's the biggest gripe you have with, a, uh, with an offensive defenseman who's got the size of skating and the ability that Owen Power has, I, I think that's kind of nitpicky, to be completely honest, and I'm the one saying it. So uh, this kid's got a ton of talent. Going to the University of Michigan is going to be a good situation for him. And as you mentioned, he might play for Team Canada. There's kind of a talk right now that University of Michigan might not let him play and I, I understand that to an extent because that season's starting up fairly shortly at the end of November if I'm not mistaken they just announced the Big Ten schedule is coming out and he's going to be playing uh, November 18th I think if I'm not mistaken but okay. the thing with that is he's he's not going to be able to leave Michigan for three four weeks because they're gonna have to quarantine in Edmonton then they're gonna have to do the training camp then they're gonna have to make the team if he doesn't even make the team, he's away from the University of Michigan for three, four weeks mm -hmm. in the middle of a season that's already abbreviated. So I understand the University of Michigan not really wanting to send him. There, there's talk that maybe they do if he's guaranteed a spot, but it, Team Canada is not guaranteeing a spot for many players. And I don't know if Owen Power is the kind of player that they necessarily guarantee a spot for. So 
it'll be interesting to see how that entire situation develops. He's going to Michigan. So is Kent Johnson, uh, one of the uh, few forwards that you have in the top 10. This is a guy that lit up the BCHL last year. Uh, average height, uh, he's only six feet, uh, well, so I guess that's average, but uh, only 166 pounds, which isn't too small and certainly can still fill out and things like that. But uh, when he's on the ice, clearly, uh, you know, he's not uh, 6'2 and 210 pounds or something, but it's definitely not holding him back. No, he's a he's an incredibly skilled player. He's a player that I, I kind of grew on this summer because I, I, I'm always a little tepid with the junior A guys, even the BCHL guys, even though it's probably the best jun- junior A league in Canada. But I'm always a little bit kind of trepid to put them in high in the rankings. And in our original ranking, we had him down at, I think, at 10 or 11. And now he's up at 6. And, and honestly, we we wanted to almost push him higher because the amount of skills this kid has is ridiculous. He pulled off two Michigan goals last year in with the Trail Smoke Eaters. And he was able to do them not in the way that Svechnikov or we've seen guys do it in the past where they're kind of set up behind the net and they have to, like, pick up the puck with their stick and, and kind of sweep it up and, and get it on top that way. But he was able to do it on receiving a pass. He didn't have to flinch. He didn't have to stutter. It was just receive the pass into the top of the net from behind the net. Mm-hmm. It, it, he's able to do stuff like that ridiculously well with ridiculous consistency. Um, he's not the biggest uh, guy on the ice. He's not a burner on the ice. He's not a guy that's going to blow by you necessarily with his speed. Uh, like we look at a guy like Alex Newhook coming out of the BCHL doing. But he's a guy that is able to methodically just manipulate you. The way he's able to kind of use his stick positioning in his hands to open up space, open up passing lanes. I've seen him use just small movements to pull pull a defender's stick to the outside so he can pull the puck back in inside and then make a pass. Like this kid's got so many intricate little details of his game that when he goes to the University of Michigan, he's going to be the highlight of this freshman class, even with Owen Power going there. I think those two guys are going to be fighting for Big Ten freshman of the year. Um, it's going to be a really fun race to watch those two teammates kind of go at it. Kent Johnson, uh, number six. And number seven, guy I know pretty well, Dylan Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Tell our listeners about him from your perspective. Uh, this, this is another kid that just, he's really skilled and he drives play. This kid, he, he didn't play center a ton last year, he, but he, he did play it from here and there. But with Dylan Gunther, he plays the game like a center. He understands that the puck is going to flow through him because he's the one that's going to drive the play. And he's more than willing to accept that responsibility. He's an excellent playmaker. He's an excellent shooter as well. He's not necessarily a Cole Sillinger-level shot, but he's got a good enough shot that when he gets into the high-danger areas like he does, he's going to score. And his playmaking is, is borderline ridiculous at times. I've seen him make passes through feet and through traffic, and he's intentionally doing it. He knows what he's doing, and he's doing things with purpose. And that's something I really look for in, in a forward who's driving play and, and not necessarily dominating in any facet of the game because, again, Dylan Genther, he's he's a fast kid, but he doesn't use his speed all the time. He's a... He's a good shot, but he doesn't need to use his shot all the time. So he's a kid that just controls the game in every area. And he, if you look at his game, you don't really see many red flags. And that's what Dylan Gendler's game is. He's kind of good at everything. He drives the play. And I think he's going to be a really fun winger to follow this year. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Oil Kings play him at center a bit more this year. Well, that'll be interesting. I think at the moment, I think he's uh, penciled in to, to line up uh, with Jake uh, Neighbors, uh, but with uh, Kate Oliver, who came over by a trade. Uh, as the centerman but we'll see and you're right he, he he's no stranger to the position he's he's been there before loves to shoot and he's got a, a an absolute uh a deadly accurate uh, shot uh this past draft we saw askarov uh, go h- pretty high for the uh russian goaltender uh and this uh coming draft the 2021 draft looks like you have another goaltender who could go potentially top 10 
Uh, tell us about Jesper Wallstead. Well, Jesper Wallstead is is a goaltender that I think I, I put in the same tier as Alfred. I think those two guys are maybe one little step above Spencer Knight, and and he's the guy that's a step above the rest of the class. So Jesper Wallstead is one of the top two goaltending prospects in the world probably right now, and he's a kid that just has so much talent. But he doesn't play the same style as Askarov. Whereas when we looked at Askarov last year, he was an extremely athletic goaltender. He was able to kind of anticipate play and make the move and, and get to the point where he's, he's able to get himself in a position. Whereas with Jesper Walter, he's so technically sound that he's never out of position to have to get himself back into it. This kid's able, he doesn't have the same athleticism that Askarov has, but he's still a very athletic kid. You're not a top goalie prospect if you don't have athleticism, and Jesper Walter has it. But the, the ability to just kind of move around the ice or move around his crease almost robotically and, and kind of just knows where to be, when to be. He's always square in the puck. This kid's a really high-end talent. We brought in a goalie scout this year, uh, Danny Tiffany, and he's he's gushing over Jesper Wallstead all year. He kind of has him a little bit ahead of Askarov. Even. And honestly, every time I watch this kid, you look at a goalie, and, and I, I'm not a goalie scout myself. I'm learning the position, kind of scouting it as I go, and it's a really hard position to scout. And with goalies, you often look at a junior goalie. Like, for instance, we look at a guy like Sebastian Costa, who we have at 33 on, on this ranking, and he's right outside the first round. We think he's a really good junior goalie. The difference is, though, when you watch him versus an NHL goalie, you can go, okay, well, he's a, he's a junior goalie. Like, you can tell little, little things in their game. They just don't look exactly the same. When you look at Jesper Wallstedt or Yaroslav Askarov in an NHL goalie, you go, okay, that's almost the same thing. Like, you can tell it's closer to that level of uh, – goaltending just by looking at it with a with a naked eye with it with not being a goaltender schedule or by any means and yes for wall that elite level prospect that we, we think there's a real chance that he could go in the top five even with with this draft class not being the strongest up top hmm, interesting uh, and when you were alluding to uh, sebastian Costa, who i was going to get to eventually but since you brought him up when you say there's a junior goalie you don't mean he doesn't have NHL upside. You just mean no, yeah, right yeah. now he's uh, clearly there's and there's still lots of raw potential there. Yeah, and that's what, that's kind of what I, I should have clarified is no Sebastian Kosa is a very very good goaltending prospect. In most years he'd be the top goaltending prospect without question. Yes. and for us right now he's the number two guy. This kid's got a ton of talent, so there it's nothing against him, but he's still a, a 17 18 year old goalie playing junior hockey. Uh, when you look at a guy like Jesper Wallstead, he looks like a professional-level goalie. And it's just that he's on an advanced development curve, whereas we see Sebastian Kosa, who, like I, like I said, I have zero issues with. I, I love the kid's game. But you still see him making small junior mistakes and, and stuff like that. And, and it's all stuff that I, we have full faith that he's going to completely work out of his game and be a successful NHL goaltender. But it's just one of those things where 99% of junior goalies are going to look like junior goalies at the time that junior goalies. It's very rare for a guy like Askarov or Wallstead to come in and, and really look like a professional goalie at this stage. Excellent. Uh, all right, before I let you go, Tony, uh, I'm not going to ask you about every other player that uh, you have in the ranking, but are there you know a couple of guys that are maybe higher on your own personal list than the rest of the group so far, guys that you already have a, a bit of a liking to? Well, I'll mention a, a couple forwards first, and, and one of them's from the WHL, and that's Cole Sillinger. Mm-hmm. This kid's talent level is just ridiculous. He's he's got a ton of upside and, and, and raw potential, and his shot might be the best in the entire draft class. This kid's shot is just insane. I'm sure you've seen it in WHL a bunch last year. Um, honestly, his injury was pretty much the only reason that we held him out of our top ten because we were able to see Dylan Genther that little bit extra. So he was able to kind of take the little step in there, but he he fits right into that group with that top ten from about. From about 5 to 12 or 13, 
that group's fairly interchangeable. And one of the other players in that group is, is Zachary LaRue playing in, out in the Halifax, the QMJHL. The biggest issue with him last year was we, we really wanted to see his game consistently get there because he had so much talent. We watched him kind of dominate games at times, he dominate shifts at times, but then he'd go ghost for a few games or he'd go ghost for the rest of the game. And you'd be like, oh, what happened to him? This year, he's not doing that. He's been one of the better players in every game I've watched with him. And I've watched almost every one of his games just because he's been that good this year. Um, he, he's a guy that I, I kind of put in my wild cards for possibly even making it up to that number one pick. And we have him at 12 right now, just outside the top 10. Uh, Stillinger and him are, are 11, 12. We really wanted to get those guys in the top 10. Like That was probably the longest part of our entire discussion when we were doing the rankings, was how could we get these guys in the top 10? And we just... It, we almost felt bad trying to drop other guys out for them. So that's why they settled outside. But uh, as for a little bit of a deeper guy, one of the guys that I really liked that kind of came up weird on, on NHL Central Scouting, uh, he got a C grade, and that's Aiden Reschuk. He's a defenseman for the National Team Development Program in, uh, in Plymouth, Michigan, uh, playing for the US NTP, NTDP. And this kid is probably the best all-around defenseman that team has. They've got a, a couple of guys like Luke Hughes and Sean Barron who are high-caliber offensive defensemen. These guys are, are possible top 10 picks, top 20 picks in the draft. And in my opinion, Aiden Reschuk is right there. We have him at uh, 19? 18. 18, yeah, 18. Yeah. So we, we love this kid's game. He's, he's actually leading the, the national team's uh, blue liners in scoring with, with six points in seven games, if I'm not mistaken, at the time. And he's doing it without being the, a prominent power play threat. Luke Hughes and Sean Barron's are absorbing most of that power play time. Aiden Reschek's actually fourth on the team among blue liners in power play time, still leading the, the blue line in scoring. And this kid's able to kind of shut things down defensively. He's not the biggest guy, but he plays extremely well positioned. He's smart. He just makes the perfect pass on the breakout every time. He's good enough to skate it out as well. I think this kid's criminally underrated, and, and I think you're going to see him in the top 20 of a lot of rankings uh, come midseason. Nice. Well, we'll definitely watch for that. And uh, Tony, uh, watch for a phone call because I'd love to have you back on the show. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, it was enjoy coming out with you. Tony Ferrari from uh, Dauber Prospects. And uh, as you can tell, I had that chat with him uh, before today's breaking news about uh, Owen Power uh, won't be going to Hockey Canada's camp. Uh, but when I uh, spoke with Tony last uh, for Thursday, Friday about that uh, subject, about all of these guys, we were talking about how Owen Power you know, not a lock to make Canada's team, uh, but I made the point that uh, they're going to take eight defensemen. Uh, I don't see the downside of having a guy like Owen Power, who could arguably be the first player taken in the 2021 draft. And he's uh, 6'6 and 215-ish pounds. Uh, he is not going to uh, look out of place uh, playing for Canada if he was going to get that opportunity. does not appear that that will be the case. Next up, we'll have an in-the-dub segment for dubnetwork.ca, and uh, Corey Graham, the uh, voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, is going to stop by. Chat I had with him, I believe it was on Friday, where we talk about, uh, well, the WHL's uh, January 8th target to return to action and uh, some of the hurdles that still have to be uh, cleared, lots of logistics still to be figured out. Let's talk to Corey next here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, it's Jason Avers from the Edmonton Oil Kings. Sawchuck. Here comes Neighbors driving away, backhander, scores! What a shot! Oh, Jake Neighbors, backhander on the rush, it's 4-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show.
There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Back on the Pipeline Show, sort of a shorter uh, shorter show this week, but uh, that's fine. It's uh, been a busy week in, in uh, real life, so hockey maybe takes a bit of a backseat this week. But uh, pleased to be joined once again by a good friend and the vo- longtime voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, Corey Graham. How are you, Corey? I'm good. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, it's been a weird week, and, and it seemed like uh, hockey wasn't much of a priority right now, but... Uh, uh, I do want to ask you about your, your uh, new show. Uh, for those who might be out of the market, uh, you were on the TSN 1260 for, well, geez, you you actually might be the longest tenured employee at this point, no? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I would think so. Cause when, when I started, I mean, Gregor was there doing a show, but he's never been an official employee. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, yeah, that would probably make me the longest standing one. I'd see him ducking and dodging all the cuts and... You know, knock on wood, we'll keep going. And uh, for those, again, who are outside the market, you're back on the air as a regular show host as well. Um, tell us when the show runs, and uh, it's got to feel pretty good to get back on the air. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's cool. It's been a while for me, obviously. So, uh, yeah, they kind of had to find something to do with me, so it was good. <laughs> uh, I'm on evenings from 6 o'clock till 9 o'clock. Uh, but right now, we carry NFL football, of course, too, so there's no show on Monday or Thursday, so it's during the week. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and then uh, Saturday afternoons right now, 12 to 4 as well, just to kind of, you know, round out some hours and uh, change some, some programming around, make some local programming on the weekend and at nights. And it's, it's been fun, you know, working with Hernan Salas. And, uh, yeah, we've been having a good time and, you know, the response has been nice. So, yeah, it's been good. Uh, it's a great team and uh, it's, it's fun to listen to, well, again, local stuff uh, in the evenings. Uh, it's been missing here in Edmonton for a long time. So great to have you back on the air for sure. Uh, as a listener, I appreciate uh, hearing you and Hernan go back and forth on subjects. And uh, your guest list is a, a solid one, too. Uh, and I don't just say that because I'm one of the guests uh, <laughs> every week. But, uh, no, it's, a, it's it's great to hear you back on the air. All right, Thanks. let's talk about uh, some hockey. And uh, I guess we'll start with the WHL and uh, the return to play plan uh, for January 8th. And uh, players are uh, getting into camp and uh, just shortly mm-hmm. after Christmas. Your thoughts, as things are sitting right now, uh, Ron Robinson has said it's a firm start date of January 8th. It's not a tentative thing, so they're forging ahead. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I, I'm optimistic they're going to start. I think, um, you know, the WHL, the first kind of date was in December 1st originally, and it kind of seemed a little bit flimsy. It was sort of a hopeful thing. But now, like you said, Ron Robinson has, has basically said that they're starting. So I'm pretty confident they're going to start. There's so much stuff, though, Guy, as we were talking about before the interview here, up in the air, uh, how to organize things is – different jurisdictions of course you mentioned the week it's been down south that might settle some things at the border who knows moving forward like 
Um, there's so many, there's so much to do between now and, and the start of the season. I mean, I'm confident they're going to start. I have no idea what it's going to look like. You know, I, the, the division play is interesting. Um, what do they do with the U.S. teams? Uh, do they stay down in the States? Do they maybe, do they relocate for a year up to Canada? Like, there's just, there's so many different things to be hammered out. Um, so as, as confident as I am, we're going to see the start of the season. I, I don't know what we're going to look like or what the league's going to look like at that point. And, uh, I don't know, you know, how many games they're going to play. I don't know what the plan is long term for this season. You know, if they, they say the Memorial Cup's been pushed back to the middle of June, which gives you some time. But you know, as we've talked about, all three leagues playing at different times, it's mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting how they figure this all out. But uh, you know, as a fan and somebody that you know works around the game, I'm, I'm excited for them to actually get going here again. Yeah, me too. And you know, you know, eventually there's going to be cases that pop up, and there's going to be positive. Uh, test results and i think it just depends on it, it then it becomes how do you adjust how do you how do you handle it obviously all the uh, mm-hmm. protocols will be in place to try to limit that as much as possible but we've seen i think pretty much every league that is to try to uh, get going outside of the nhl uh, and the nba for, for the most part everybody else who haven't been able to get into a a bubble for an extended period of time which obviously you can't do there's been cases that have come up then it becomes how you handle it, and it seems like leagues are still able to move forward. Uh, there's just lots of uh, postponements for games and rescheduling, but maybe that's what we should expect for the WHL as well. Um, that's kind of the way I feel. Uh, you know, I don't think it'll be like the NFL where it doesn't seem to matter. They're going to truck ahead and play. <laughs> uh, you know, that's based on TV revenue, obviously, so that's different. The WHL, I would assume, because again, we're not talking about professional athletes; we're talking about kids and. Um, it's a lot different. Uh, so I, I listen. I assume you're going to see postponements. Uh, I would think you know you look at the way BC handles things, and um, Alberta is maybe not quite as stringent as British Columbia is. Um, you know Manitoba's going through a flare-up as well. So in Saskatchewan, like there's just all the different jurisdictions. I think it'll be interesting. I don't think we're going to have a, a set thing across the league that this is what happens. You know, like I know we we look at Quebec and you know they're dealing with the Maritimes and then the province of Quebec, so it's a little bit, I mean, I know there's a lot of different uh, provinces in the Maritimes, it's not like one and two, but still, mm. it, it feels like it's a little bit different out there than it is here, and especially with the travel, uh, you know, the staying in, in province makes sense to me, um, but yeah, I wonder how they're going to treat cases, especially if they flare up when the team's away, like, yeah, I don't think you're going to see like 12-day road trips or anything like that, but, you know, what happens if you get a case that pops up when you're away for three days, and all of a sudden your whole team has been on a bus together and it's been in the hotel together at meals and practices. Like how do you, how do you protect everybody if a case pops up that way? Um, there's just, the jurors, there's so much um, to figure out, I guess. And uh, you know, I know they're going to take all the precautions necessary and it's going to be a lot of extra work and a lot of extra paying attention to details, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it. Cause it, it's going to happen. I just, the way things are going, look at the AJHL, which is going, I think was a white court had a case yeah. uh, flare up. So, I mean, it's going to happen. It's just how you deal with it. And I wonder about the scheduling, because uh, obviously with, with not leaving the province, I think that is a smart way to do it for all four uh, uh, jurisdictions in Canada as well as the, the two states as well, if that's what happens down there uh, in the U.S. division, that they just play against each other all season long. I think that is the smart way to go about it in these trying times. Uh, but when you have a province the size, well, all four provinces are pretty big and there's going to be extended travel between them, I mean, to go from Edmonton to Lethbridge for a game or down to Medicine Hat and then turn around and come back and not play, stay overnight, 
because they talk about wanting to eliminate hotel stays. That's going to be tricky, isn't it? Because you, uh, you're going to want to play probably just on weekends, I'm guessing. Um, and to, then you're getting into uh, long travel days. Yeah, that's that, that's right. I mean, even day trip. I mean, you can day trip all of Alberta. So I, I wonder if that's kind of the way they do it. But I also think that, you know, if you're going to go down to Lethbridge, you want to probably play Medicine Hat. Or maybe you play a couple games in each spot. Then you're talking about hotel stays. So, right. you know, what's what's... What's the better way to do it? Is it better just to take that one longer trip and then uh, spend a few days in hotels, or is it better to go back and forth on a bus? So, you know, like, I mean, I've ridden those buses for a lot of years, and I've seen the flu go through teams, and one guy's coughing and hacking in the back of the bus, and it just, you know, over three or four days, it it, it seems to travel to everybody. So uh, this is similar but different, obviously. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I part of me thinks it, it might be better just to take that one trip down and, and try to play as many games as you can. And, and hopefully at hotels, you can maybe not have as many team functions and team activities together. Like maybe you try to let players sort of do their own thing a little bit, stay separated. I, I don't know. It, it's again, there's just so many things up in the air. So I don't know what the best way to do it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're going to, they're going to have to figure that part out. Um, I, I like the idea of, you know, going and playing a couple games in one city just to get them off the schedule mm-hmm. rather than going back and forth on a bus. That, that's my own personal opinion because I think spending that, many, that amount of time on the road is is not beneficial either. Corey Graham is my guest, longtime voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, you and I and Andrew Peard, who also calls games for the Oil Kings, we've been uh, chatting a little bit about, you know, what happens with the broadcasters. Uh, can they travel on the bus and, and things like that or you know, will things be scaled back, skeleton crew as much as possible? And would that mean potentially only home teams get to broadcast games or something like that? And the, the uh, road teams would have to call it from, you know, watching WHL live or something. Uh, I threw that question to John Keane. Of course, everything is completely up in the air. As you, uh-huh. What's your thoughts on that, though? Yeah, I don't know, because you look at it, and as much as the broadcasters are, and I just told my own experience, you're close to the team, you're there every day, but you're also you know, it's not like you're, um, you're quarantined or you're, you know, you, you live your own life. Basically when you come to the rink, you, you, you know, you go through the same set of rules everybody else does, but when you go home, you're, you know, you're not, you're not an employee of the team for the most part. You just, you do your own thing. So how do they, um, how do they take care of that? How do they take care of, you know, worrying about tracing and all that stuff? So I, I guess in a perfect world, yeah, you'd like to see them travel, but I, I, to me, I really wonder about that too. I, I, part of me thinks it'll just be, you know, maybe you call games via, via the internet um, at on the road, or I don't know if you can share broadcast so much because of the sponsorship and stuff like that. But yeah. I mean, maybe that's the way they go this year in a shortened season for one off. So I, I think, I honestly, I, I, in my own head, I think the broadcast is probably the least of their worries right now. They're trying to figure <laughs> out how they're going to get these games in, but. That is going to come to a head of how they're going to handle it. I don't know if it's going to be a league-wide mandate or if different teams are going to be able to do different things. Like, you know, who's to say that, you know, Westbridge and Medicine Hat can't travel a guy and then Calgary does, you know, who knows? It's just, uh, I think it might come down to each team and how they're, they're comfortable. But again, it comes down to people are allowed in the building. You know, I was talking with Tyler Yumshut the other night about uh, the AJHL and they're, you know, they're only allowed so many people in the building. So do you want to sell that extra ticket if you can, or do you want to have somebody there that, that takes one of those spots without paying? And mm-hmm. you know, when you're looking at um, where the finances are, I think you want to get as much as you can, right? You want to sell every ticket you're available to. So uh, again, I don't know where the fans are at the WHL level either. So maybe that's a moot point. So <laughs> just kind of 
you know, just kind of thinking off the top of my head, there's just, again, so much up in the air, but, uh, you know, where do I, I, I don't know. I, I guess <laughs> if I talk myself into a corner here, I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we probably won't see broadcasters travel. That's just my thought. All right. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, and I guess that opens up to the, to the rest of the Canadian Junior Hockey League as well. How do you feel about the dub guys who have been loaned, uh, to, uh, that league until December 20th? I know you and I have talked about it on your show in the past, yeah. but, uh, let's get your opinion. And all these questions, I'm wishy-washy on G. <laughs> <laughs> I see, like, again, I, I see both sides of it. Like, I think if you're the dub team, you'd love to have your guys playing. I think that makes sense, you know, um, barring you hope they don't get hurt. I think, um, you know, it makes sense for development and having guys ready for your team. Uh, for the junior A teams, it, it makes sense in the fact that maybe they can help your team. They can, uh, you know, so, especially some of the high-level guys. Like, you know, when you're talking about a Dylan Gunther playing, you're talking about uh, Jake Neighbors and Ozzy Weisblatt down in, and Brooks potentially like you're talking about some high high level guys that can come in and, and maybe you know teach some of the the other players about what it's like to be at that level. So I you know that's beneficial for everybody. The other part is that you know if they're playing, somebody's not, and somebody that's on your team is not playing games because you have a WHL guy in the lineup. And as much as you know they're, they can be beneficial in practice and, and in the room and stuff like that, it's, there's going to be some hurt feelings I think of guys that are just there almost like it's an extended training camp for them or, you know, you're going to be in this full long haul with your club. So I think if you can get over that fact um, within your group and it doesn't cause a split in like that, I, I think it's fine, but there is the potential that, um, that there could be some, some, you know, hurt feelings amongst the team. And, um, you know, obviously all these players are, are there to develop, whether it's to take the next step in pro or to, to earn an NCAA uh, scholarship in, in junior A you want to be on the ice as much as you can. So, um, you know, overall, I think it's, it's a win-win, but it's also it could be a lose-lose, you know, with injuries and, and um, team chemistry. Uh, the uh, World Junior Championship will be here in Edmonton. They're going to bubble it up like the NHL did, and that was a, a big success for the NHL, and you got to tip your cap to the, the way they were able to pull that off. Uh, there won't be any fans. There won't be any NHL scouts. I haven't heard anything about media as of yet, I personally probably will not be in attendance. I don't know uh, if you are planning on going or not, if you can. What's your level of excitement, though, right now for, for the World Junior Championship? It is six, seven weeks away, but uh, it is going to be the, the first big hockey event on the calendar. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, uh, I'm i not super pumped about it right now. Yeah. Like you, I, I mean, I don't imagine myself going. I don't think even if we are allowed, I just... I don't think it's it's really worth it to be kind of going through all the extra stuff to get into the building just to watch a hockey game. And uh, I mean, I'm comfortable just watching it at home at that stage, unless mm-hmm. like I need to be there for work. And they say, you know what, you need to be there, then then sure. But um, you know, like it, it I'm, I'm never. I'll be honest, I'm never super excited at this time. It's it's cool when the, the roster comes out for camp and you kind of get a list of who's going to be there. But until we actually kind of get to the World Juniors, I, I'm always kind of like you know, ho-hum on it. Then you get to it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is good. <laughs> you know, this is good hockey. So I'm looking forward to the tournament, I guess. But at this stage, it's it's just a, such a different feel. You know, with everything else going on in the world, the World Juniors, is. I'm glad it's going ahead. Uh, you know, especially since so many other tournaments have been canceled, it's kind of interesting that this one finds a way to go. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, good on them for, for making it work. And it, it happens to line up here in Edmonton where they already have the, the bubble set. You know, they know how to handle it at Rogers Place. So, that all makes sense. It's just it's hard to to really be super excited for it at this point, considering it's it's kind of a it's like you said seven weeks away or so, but b just because of 
everything else going on. It just doesn't feel like it's real, to be honest. Matthew Robertson of the Oil Kings invited to Canada's camp. Uh, I expect that he's uh, in a pretty good position to to uh, make that that team. Uh, Sebastian Kosa doesn't get the invite after being involved in the uh, summer what virtual camp, I guess they call it. That, to me, was a surprise. And I, I guess you could consider Jake Neighbors probably better in line for, for next year's team. Uh, but, and any of the import players, the Oil Kings, I, I don't even know exactly who they still have the rights to. I know they cut ties with uh, Jesse Sepalar, Jesse Sepalar, however we're finally pronouncing uh-huh. his name. But uh, what's Vlad Alistrov's uh, situation? Not that they'd be going to the World Juniors. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, to be honest, I really haven't thought about the import players too much. Um, yeah, I would imagine Vladimir Alistrov would be at the U. If I don't know if they're going to have a World Junior Div One A or whatever it is this year, yeah. so uh, I know he went last year. So I'd assume if, if they do have that tournament, he'd be eligible to go. Um, I'd have to check to see if they're actually holding that tournament this year. But yeah, I would assume he'd be a guy in the mix to go for sure. But um, outside of that, and again, the same thing with their, their new pick. I would assume that, that he's in the mix as well. But uh, yeah, just so much focus has been on other things, and then you know, obviously trying to see if the season's going to go. That 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 secondary World Junior stuff that normally we're talking about a lot just hasn't. I'll be honest, hasn't really crossed my radar. To be honest, I just haven't been paying attention to that at all with um, with anything outside of Canada right now. So uh, yeah, the Canadian you mentioned uh, with Jake Neighbors, I was kind of intrigued to see if he'd get an invite just be based upon being a first round pick and. You know, being here in Edmonton, that maybe he get at least an invite to camp and see where he goes from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm with you on, on Sebastian Coase. I'm sure we can get into that a little bit more. And then Matthew Robertson, I, I'm with you. I think he, um, I think he has a real good chance to make this team if he has a solid camp. Well, we can talk about Coase. We're going to sound really biased, but uh, I don't get it personally. <laughs> I mean, he's his numbers last year were fantastic on a contending team, uh, and uh, you know there are other goaltenders at the camp who have basically the same amount of uh, CHL starter experience. As, uh, as he does, Tristan Lennox, who was on a really good team in Saginaw last year, bad numbers. Brett Brochu, who was, he was the number two guy to start in London last year, uh, ended up playing more games, but, you know, not a history with Hockey Canada. I, I'm really surprised that, uh, that Coase is not involved in this camp. Yeah, me too. And, you know, we kind of joked about it on my show that the Hockey Canada doesn't like Oil King goaltenders because yeah. every time they have a top notch goalie, they don't get invited or they get cut. So, I don't know what it is, you know, honestly, I think Sebastian Kosa, and, and you're right, we're going to sound biased, but as, as people that have seen him play all the games and, and, you know, what he does, his size, the way he moves, like this kid has, you know, star potential written all over him for what he's done at a young age, came into the league as, you know, an underage player and, and really taken a step. And, you know, I, I the Oil Kings, it was interesting because he basically won the, the starter's job around Christmas last year and Todd Scott elected to, to go play elsewhere to play more often. And then Edmonton ended up bringing in a 20 year old and Beck Warren, but they basically split the rest of the stars, even with this, you know, the, the, uh, the youngster in Kosa. So I was really intrigued come playoff time, Guy, last year, yeah. what they were going to do in goal, whether it would have been Beck Warren because he's 20 or Kosa had earned it. And now I look at this camp and I, I can't figure out why he's not there, especially again with it being here in Edmonton. You have a guy that's, that's here, ready to play, you know, a guy that I think, and Craig Button mentioned this on our station a while ago that, you know, without having that Canada-Russia series, without having the extra on-ice camps and stuff like that, that might have hurt some guys. And I wonder if Kosa is in that camp where they went with guys that maybe they know a little bit better. Um, you know, that being said, at this stage of players' careers, you should know everything about these guys. And, and like you said, Kosa was at their virtual camps and has been around. So I, 
I, I don't think that um, there's any sort of imagination. You don't know who he is as a goaltender, but it, does, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I even look at the other two guys from the WHL, and yeah, they're both good goaltenders, but I, I, I would probably take Tosa head-to-head over those guys. So that, that's just me. All right. Uh, and lastly, uh, the Oil Kings uh, have some guys up for the draft, Kosa being one of them, but obviously Dylan Gunther is going to be a, you know, likely a top-10 pick uh, in the 2021 draft. This uh, very strange, awkward season, uh, how do you, does it affect guys uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what they do? It affects everybody, I suppose, equally. That's one way to look at it. But how does it affect guys long term, do you think? That's the big question. That's why I'm glad they're, they're going to play. You know, you get, even if it's a short season, even if it's only a few months, but they get a chance to play and, and show where they're at. And you look at uh, Gunther, what he's done already in the AJ playing a couple of games, he's like, what, six, seven points in those two games. So, Looks like he's ready to, to hit the ground running once things start in, in uh, January for the Oil Kings. And, you know, he's a guy that I think should get a ton of attention for the draft this year. You know, obviously being a first round, uh, first overall pick in the WHL and um, just the way his season went last year. You know, he slowed to start but wasn't put in, in key situations. And once he kind of showed he was ready, they, they, they opened the door for him. And, and you know what? He, he took advantage of that opportunity and showed that he was a top guy. I mean, the Orkings were a better team once Gunther was on their top line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, they were fine early in the, in the early going when he was basically third, fourth line in power play time just to get his feet wrapped. But once he kind of became accustomed to the speed of the game and everything, he was dominant on certain nights. And you know, it was interesting watching him play with a 17-year-old and Jake Neighbors. You know, you don't normally see a, an upper echelon team having two guys that young playing together on your top line. Now, granted, they had a 20-year-old down the middle and Riley Sawchuk, but Still, I mean, those two guys were leading the way offensively for this club in the second half of the year. So, you know, I, I'm really excited for what Dylan can do this year. You know, uh, I don't know if he ends up being a top 10, you know, if he get, gets there, but he doesn't seem to have a ton of buzz around him right now. And maybe it's just because we're not playing hockey, but hmm. I'm looking forward to once once things get back to see what, where the buzz is around him because I think, um, you know, he has the potential to be a, to really be a high-impact guy for this upcoming draft. Agreed completely. Uh, Corey, as always, really appreciate uh, catching up. Uh, stay safe uh, wherever you and uh, Nicole are, and uh, hopefully we can uh, chat next time at the rink. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, sounds good, Guy. Thanks for having me on. I always appreciate the time. Corey Graham, uh, voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings, along with uh, Andrew Peard. And uh, as everybody anticipates the start of the WHL seasons and just what still has to be sorted out in terms of, well, just scheduling and just who's able to go and uh, all the logistics involved, lots still to uh, to figure out. It sounds like the WHL, like I, I give them a lot of credit. They're, they've got a lot of things to figure out because of all the provincial jurisdictions, and two states to have to deal with. It's a, it's a, There's a lot going on, uh, and I have to commend them for what appears to be, from my perspective, uh, a job well done to this point. I did have a chat with a uh, scout today who... Um, I won't say what level he scouts for, or what league he works in, or whatever, uh, but he and people he talks to are seriously wondering if uh, the OHL plays at all this year, and if that's the case, maybe the WHL follows suit. Now, right now, the WHL is scheduled to start before the OHL, but we'll see what happens. Uh, but even just further down the line, if you could conceive of a season where the OHL and the WHL don't play, the USHL is, well, so far off to a, a sketchy start. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, pretty bumpy start there. What if the 2021 draft is in question? Well, that's a long ways away, but people are starting to wonder about that. 
already. Speaking of the USHL, my next guest is a first-timer here for the Pipeline Show, and he covers the USHL in Dubuque, Jim Leitner. He's up next to tell us uh, all about the start to the season in the United States Hockey League. Next, here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, this is Brock Besser from the Waterloo Blackhawks. Hey, it's Kyle Connor from the Youngstown Fans. I'm Mrs. Gergensen from Dubuque Flying Saints. Hi, it's Ali Sullivan from Sioux City Musketeers. Hi, this is Ryan Patolny, former player with the Lincoln Stars. This is Cooper Marodi from the Sioux Falls Stampede. Blake McLaughlin from the Chicago Steel. Hey, this is Sam Gagne, formerly the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL. Hey, I'm Wade Allison from the Tri-City Storm. Hi, this is Tom Gilbert, former Chicago Steel player. Jack Curry from the Waterloo Blackhawks. It's Casey Middlestaff from the Green Bay Gamblers, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. There's no time for mistakes, cause it's slipping away. Even though it might be easier, I won't give in now. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! And Duncan Keith. And future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh yeah, the cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. We're back on the Pipeline Show, and uh, the final segment of this week's episode, uh, we're going to look at the USHL and how things have gone as uh, we're now into the regular season. But if you're following the league on Twitter, you're you're seeing lots of games being canceled or postponed, rather. Uh, so uh, let's get an update on that, and we're going to head to Dubuque, where uh, Jim Leitner, a longtime uh, beat reporter who uh, works for the Dubuque Telegraph Herald, as well as uh, USA Hockey Magazine. Uh, welcome to the program, Jim. How are you? Thank you. I appreciate you having me aboard. Uh, big fan of the show for many years, so I'm uh, excited to be uh, part of the lineup. Well, that's flattering. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, how have things gone so far for the Dubuque Fighting Saints? This is a team that's always, it seems like, uh, more often than not, one of the contenders in the league. I know a couple of games in. They've lost them both, but hey, at least they're playing. Yeah, exactly. They uh, last year they finished second overall in the USHL, 33-13 and two. Uh, so they were one of the best teams in the league. But uh, anytime that happens, obviously you're going to get hit hard by graduation and moving guys on to the Division One ranks, and and that's what happened. So uh, this year they're they're experienced on the back end, but they're a little inexperienced up front. Uh, so a big key is going to be to find out where that goal scoring is going to come from. And, you know, right now they're they're still trying to find their way. And, you know, as you mentioned, they had a couple of tough losses this weekend. So off to an 0-2 start. But uh, I know the team is really excited about the personnel that they have in town. And uh, I think the sooner rather than later, I think they're going to be a good hockey team and then uh, contending for another playoff berth. Uh, the team also gets, uh, with the upheaval and the uncertainty of the NCAA season, there's uh, a, a returning player to the league who's got some NCAA experience, uh, Henry Thrunt, correct, uh, coming back from Harvard? Correct, yeah. He's uh, he's waiting to see what Harvard's planning on doing. I know for, immediate, for the immediate future, they're, they're talking about not starting until the beginning of the new year. Mm-hmm. So he's here for at least uh, until the new year. 
And then uh, there's been some discussion that the Ivy League won't play at all this year, so he could possibly be here for the entire season. Um, but uh, it's he's a huge addition to this team because he's an older player. Obviously, he's had some success at, at the next level at the at Harvard. He's also an Anaheim Ducks draft pick. So he's and up on top of all that, he's he's great in the locker room. Uh, he's the kind of guy that. When you have a younger defenseman on your team, he's a great uh, role model for those guys. So, you know, it's important to have, you know, what he brings to the the team on the ice, but I think his value in the locker room is even going to be bigger. I haven't gone through the rosters for uh, all, uh, well, 14 active teams this year in the USHL, but are there other players coming back to the league from the NCAA like Thrun? Uh, I do think there are. There's a couple from around the league. uh, I know Dubuque has one. They, they do have a player who came back uh, from from last year who played at, at Quinnipiac last year, and he's back in the lineup now. Uh, PJ Fletcher, but that was uh, that was the, the intent all along. He was coming back to to play in the USHL because he wanted to find a new home uh, anyway. So yeah. I mean that that was always part of the plan. But I do think. I do think there are a few other Ivy League guys. I know Chicago has one or two Ivy League guys who came back uh, who originally played in Chicago and, and they're back. So, uh, but I don't think it's a I don't think it's a ton of players. I, I think it's just a, a scattering around a few here and there. Now I'm looking at the roster for the uh, the Fighting Saints uh, at the USHL's website. Not every player uh, is uh, I can see where they're from. I do see one Swede though. Uh, how many import players are there for? the Fighting Saints right now, and was that a challenge to get them to the team? Well, I think the the, the players, the, the Canadian players were, I don't think that was as big of an issue to get the players down here, uh, but the players from from Europe, they were a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, the, the Swede that you're talking about is, is defenseman Evan Stella, and he actually has dual citizenship so he's uh, is a little easier for him to get over here. Okay. But uh, from what I understand, around the league, I think a lot of the, I think it was a little bit more difficult for uh, European European players to come to the United States just to get out of there. A lot of them they had their uh, their meetings with their back home, and they weren't even be able to, weren't even going to have their meetings until the uh, the end of Jan- December or early January. So. Uh, it was difficult for a lot of those guys to get out of out of Europe and over here. So that's a little bit more of a challenge. The Canadian players, I, I don't think they had much of an issue at all. All right. Uh, Jim Leitner, who is my guest, uh, joins me uh, coming from Dubuque, Iowa, as uh, we discuss the, uh, the start to the USHL season. And maybe we buried the lead a little bit, but let's get into how things have gone here uh, for the USHL. Uh, the, what it's been, well, again, teams have played maybe one, maybe two games. Other teams haven't played at all yet uh, because their games were canceled or postponed. Uh, what's the feeling around the league right now about uh, the, the league trying to start in the middle of the pandemic? Well, I think, you know, everybody, first of all, I, the USHL has, you know, a lot of really good protocols in place. Um, and I think that really goes back to the summer uh, when all the teams had their, their tryout camps. There was a lot of really intense protocol just to have tryout camps in the summer. And I think they used that kind of as a litmus test to see if this was even possible to do it. Uh, and I think from what I understand, every team around the league, every, every camp had uh, made, got through with flying colors. So I think that was the first step. 
but I know the USHL took a lot of went to great great lengths to make sure that there's really good protocol in place for all these all these uh, teams, and they're working with local health authorities and and uh, just trying to make sure that everything is done as safely as possible. And I know here in Dubuque the uh, the, the protocols are ridiculously stringent and. Uh, it's basically a situation where the players, uh, they get up in the morning, they go to the rink, they go home and that's about it. And they, they're not really, they're not really allowed or they're not, they're really discouraged from even going out and getting takeout or, or going anywhere else other than the rink and their homes. And even if they normal in a normal junior year, you're talking about guys having poker night or team get togethers on Wednesday nights or, or whatever. And they've really discouraged that they don't want more than a couple players congregating at the same time. So it's a very unusual year, but those are the kind of, or the, the kind of sacrifices that every player is going to have to make. And, you know, so far from what I understand in Dubuque, they've done a really good job of, uh, uh, adhering to those protocols and, and making sure that everybody stays safe. Now, on, on the other hand, you can you can have the protocols all in place. You can work as hard as you want, and by accident, someone can get the virus. So it, it's just that uh, that easily spread, and it's uh, still a very big concern for for everyone. That uh, even if you have the the great protocols in place, you can still get it. Now, when I'm looking at the press releases from the league, and there's been three of them today. Uh, in regards to game cancels uh, being canceled or postponed, it always says per league safety protocols, minimum standards were not met to play this weekend's games. So it's not saying that there's positive test results with any specific players or teams. It's always, at least uh, according to the uh, press releases, about safety protocols. I- I'm guessing in the facilities not being followed or or up to snuff. Is it a fully transparent that it that is the situation, or are players being, uh, or staff, or coaches, uh, have there been positive test results that, that you're aware of? Well, I'm, I'm sure there is. I think the, the the question. I mean, you have to go deeper into the social circle too. I mean, it's not just players and staff. You know, it's billet families too. I mean, you can you can have great uh, protocol and everybody, all the players and staff can be perfectly safe, but you could have one or two billet families where, you know, there's a little bit of an outbreak too. So I'm not sure how, what the, the standards are throughout the league, but I know they're pretty stringent and, you know, it, it could be, it could be staff members. It could be players. It could be, you know, like I said, billet families or people who are associated with the team. And I know in Dubuque, you know, you, nor on a normal year, you have, you know, you have fan clubs, you have outings with season ticket holders and, you know, all of those things have been really curtailed, if not canceled completely. So they're really trying to make sure that those social circles are as, as tight as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to keep everybody safe. But it, I'm, I'm not sure even what the uh, what the standards are, if, if it's X number of players, X number of people within the organization or what it is. But uh, I think that's what they're looking at. And the, the thing they just want to avoid is a, is a terrible outbreak where it affects every single member of a team. Yeah, for sure. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, now, north of the border, all our junior A leagues are, or most of them are going, and every once in a while they get shut down or teams get shut down too because there's the inevitable cases that pop up. Uh, and in the uh, major junior hockey loop, uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is going forward, uh, and half the league is 
you know, in the province of Quebec, and that's been an issue. They've decided to bubble those teams to try to get some games uh, safely done. Uh, any thought of that in the USHL? Where I don't know because of geography if that's even possible. I know at the collegiate level, the NCHC is going to start their season in a bubble. Has that been discussed at all at the USHL level? Not to my knowledge. I haven't heard that quite yet. And, and like you mentioned, the, the geography is a big concern. Uh, and if you're looking from, you know, from the eastern part of the league, you're going from Youngstown, Ohio, uh, all the way over to uh, Tri-City, Nebraska, which is a pretty big footprint. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they did, though, is this year, it's pretty much all the Western Conference is just basically going to play the Western Conference rivals in, in the same way with the Eastern Conference. There's a few crossover. I know Dubuque plays a couple of Western Conference teams here, but for the most part, they don't see any teams from the West. So they're they're trying to keep travel to a minimum, and they're they're trying to keep uh, everything to as close to uh, regular or as close to normal as possible. But as as far as I know, I don't think they've discussed the bubble quite yet or how how the logistics would work. But I'm sure they're looking at everything the Q is doing and seeing if uh, if that's something that could possibly. Uh, be a solution down the road. Are fans uh, able to attend these games to some extent, like a small capacity of, of tickets being sold? Yeah, I, I, you know, the one thing with the USHL at this time of year, uh, the, the, the big crowds usually don't come until January or February. Uh, so, you know, to see small crowds in the USHL right now, that's not really unusual. Hmm. Uh, so I know uh, Dubuque played twice this weekend, and they had, they had fans, they had uh, pretty decent crowds the first you know considering it's it's november they had pretty decent crowds for the the start of the season you know obviously when you get into january and february that's where they really pick up but um you know you go into the arena and they they require that you wear masks uh they really require that you're socially distanced and you know families can are allowed to sit together but you know for the most part they really are encouraging people to to maintain six foot of uh, separation between everybody. So, and, and there's a, a ton of cleaning, you know, they're, they're constantly wiping down, you know, common areas and, mm-hmm. you know, near the concession stands and they've uh, limited what they have at the concession stands or so there's, so the lines aren't as long. And, and so they're just trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. But, you know, like I said, at this time of the year, it's a little bit easier because the, you know, the big draw games haven't happened yet. Right. Uh, Jim, I have to ask the question, just at what point does the league say, if it got really bad, what would that threshold be where the league says, all right, we, we gave it a, a shot, but it's not going to, uh, it's not going to be good for anybody. Of course, we want the players to play and develop, and it's important for, from that perspective. But at the same time, is there a threshold where the, the league says, you know, we tried, but uh, it's too soon. We, we got to shut her down. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there is one quite yet. I, I mean, I go back to in the summertime. You look at Major League Baseball, and you know, you had a, a little outbreak with the Florida Marlins, and and then the St. Louis Cardinals, and and at that point, everyone was like, "Oh, th- there's no way they're going to get through the entire season." Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way this could happen. And you know, once Major League Baseball got through those two teams, those little outbreaks, you really didn't hear about you know, much of an outbreak anywhere. I'm sure there were little cases here and there. Um, what I'm hoping is that, you know, these outbreaks or these little, these games being canceled over the last week or so uh, will be a real good reminder to everybody to, to make sure that they're on top of their game and making sure that all the protocols are being followed and yeah. and they can, they can continue. So 
I mean, I, in my opinion, I think that's what happened with major league baseball, you know, to see a team get shut down for a week or two weeks, you know, really opened a lot of people's eyes and, and made them realize that, you know, wearing a mask isn't a bad deal or, you know, really keeping your social circles isn't a bad deal and that you can make it happen. So uh, that's what I'm hoping that, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist by nature and I'm always hoping that uh, the best thing can happen. But as of right now, I don't know if there is a threshold or if they've, they've really discussed that. Um, I, I, it's still probably still a little bit too early. I think they want to give it a little bit more time to see how these things progress. All right. Well, fingers crossed uh, the season gets going uh, and everything uh, works according to plan. Uh, Jim, I really appreciate your time. I hope you don't mind if I call you again. Oh, anytime. I'm uh, glad to talk about hockey. I'm a big fan of the USHL and uh, really enjoy talking about it. So anytime. Okay. Stay safe, man. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Jim Leitner, great job in his debut here on the Pipeline Show. He's a guy I will be calling on again whenever I want to uh, talk USHL. He, Jeff Johnson, who uh, joins me from uh, Cedar Rapids, great guest to get on uh, from the league that uh, that cover that league. Had a number of the uh, the play-by-play guys over the years who have come on. I remember Ryan S. Clark actually was uh, covering the USHL back, God, must be, 10 years ago, and we would get him on. Now I believe he's covering the Colorado Avalanche. A lot of those play-by-play guys are now in the ECHL or the AHL. And, in fact, the new play-by-play guy for the Seattle Kraken is a former Youngstown Phantoms uh, broadcaster who was on my show uh, back when he was uh, calling games for the Phantoms. That would be Everett Fitzhugh. So I'm not saying they got their uh, big career boost because they were on the Pipeline show. It was just great to get those guys when they were still in the USHL. It's not just the players that go on to have uh, pro success. Anyway, uh, coming up next on the Pipeline Show, just one more segment, but uh, we're going to head out to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and the uh, play-by-play voice of the Quebec Ramparts, his name is Ray Cloutier. You've heard him on the show in the past, but uh, not for a while. A great guy to chat with. He is coming up next to tell us all about the uh, the bubble idea that's happening in Quebec City. Let's tackle that. Next, here on the Pipeline Show. Now off the bench, because Pelche, he's going to burst to speed. Pelche, he scores! Jacob Pelche in overtime! Wins it for the Wildcats! Four! Three! Woo! This is Jacob Pelche of the Moncton Wildcats, and you're listening to Pipeline Show. Bruce Grove Saints AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Batman is playing Galaga. Thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. This is the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we'll continue on with a CHL Insider segment. And you can't get any more inside the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League than uh, 
my next guest, uh, Ray Cluche, the longtime voice of the Quebec Rempar. Welcome back to the uh, Pipeline Show. Ray, how are you? Very good, Guy, and you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, making the time today. Uh, before we get into the hockey, how are things in Quebec right now? Because across the country, there are varying degrees of uh, COVID-19. Uh, where you are, uh, how is it? Well, we're we're still a red zone here, but uh, for the past 10 days, uh, it's going uh, pretty good. So uh, we're hopeful that uh, maybe next week we'll uh, come back to the orange zone and maybe have... Uh, uh, better life still, but uh, we're hanging in there, uh, Guy. We're hanging in there. All right. Well, I know for the league, uh, things have been, well, a little bit bumpy uh, since the, uh, yeah. the the start of the season in early October. Uh, I believe right now, to this point, the Rempire have only played two games. Is that correct? Yeah. They began at, uh, the first two games of the season at the beginning of the year in uh, October. And then after that, uh, uh, it was a red zone here, red zone in Montreal. So the first two teams to stop action in the queue were the Ramparts and the uh, Blainville Armada. And then after that, uh, some more teams like uh, Shawinigan, Victoriaville uh, had to stop also, Drummondville, Sherbrooke. So uh, it's only in the Maritimes that they did not stop at all. And uh, now there's a gap between uh, the Maritimes teams and the uh, Quebec teams. So uh, that's why I guess... Uh, uh, the bubble came uh, in the discussion, and uh, we're uh, next week. Uh, if all goes well, we'll be uh, at the arena again. All right. Well, let's talk about the bubble. Uh, it's uh, November seventeenth to the twenty seventh. Uh, there's going to be what seven teams? They're all going to come to Quebec City and play a bit of a round uh, robin uh, schedule. Uh, they'll all play each other, and they're going to play how many games in that ten days? Six, six games each. So that makes for uh, twenty-one games. Uh, in 11 days. So uh, tomorrow, he, uh, the QMJHL will give us uh, some more details on the schedule and how it will work. But uh, uh, I know it will be like uh, two games a day for the 17th to the uh, 27th. Mm. Two, two games a day and every team will play six, six games. All those games will count uh, for the, uh, the standings after that. Uh, there will be Victoriaville, Shawinigan, Chicoutimi, Quebec, Drummondville, um, Gatineau, and uh, Blainville, Boisbriand. All those seven teams will be here in Quebec City. I guess they will arrive uh, in Quebec like uh, next Monday or uh, next Sunday. They will be here in a hotel. The Ramparts also will be in a hotel. Normally they're uh, with their... Uh, their families, but uh, everybody will be in a hotel and uh, we create the bubble. It's uh, the same pattern as the NHL did in Edmonton and Toronto, uh, of course, with less less money to, to do that at the, mm-hmm. at the standards of the junior hockey team. But uh, essentially, it's, it's the pattern that the that they like to uh, to copy for the the bubble next week. Less money, also less time to get together. And b- before the game sure. started, I mean, here in Edmonton, the teams came and it was like two weeks before they really started to play yeah. and, and and mingle. Uh, but that's not the case here. So how how confident are you that it will go well? Well, I know yesterday there was there was a lot of excitement uh, in those seven teams because they're still practicing. Apart from uh, Drummondville, Drummondville had some uh, COVID-19 cases, so they had to be uh, in uh, isolation. They've been not practiced the last two weeks, but uh, all the other teams are still practicing. It takes for a long, long time without playing. It's like uh, 
for the ramparts. They practice the last month without uh, knowing when will be the la the next game. So, uh, of course, yesterday when we uh, we had that news that the bubble will uh, will begin next week, there was a lot of excitement. So, I think it will be that lot of excitement, like. Uh, You know what, Pee Wee are a Ben 10 tournament and we play like uh, two games a day and yeah, uh, yeah. everybody is, uh, it will be like that. With, uh, those those guys, uh, junior hockey players, they want to play. They uh, they do some sacrifices right now because they cannot have a social life like their friends maybe like to have. Uh, of course, uh, we're in a red zone, so nobody can do much, much uh, of anything. But, uh, you know, they're practicing, they're disciplined. Uh, all of that to uh, to play hockey some sometimes, so uh, they're happy that uh, there will be some games next week. I think the level of play will be uh, will be okay. Maybe the first few shifts shifts will be tough, but after that, uh, the uh, it will be some good hockey to see at the San Videotron, I guess. Uh, Uh, beginning November 17th. Oh, I bet everybody is excited to get going uh, once again. Now, Shikudemi had a, a positive case uh, just a couple of days yep. ago, so is this going to affect them at all? Uh, maybe. Maybe they will be re-examined, um, I guess, at the end of this week, and then a decision will be made. It's like in society, uh, each day we uh, there are some changes, you know, so uh, we have to go with the flow, and uh, they hope that the seven teams will be here next week to play that uh, bubble tournament. But uh, if Shikutimi, there's still some cases. Uh, I think they will not be here, but the other six teams will play. So uh, it's like that. We're going uh, day by day for now. It's uh, it's the situation with uh, COVID-19. Ray, this has got to be tough for, well, for you. Just You're watching all the teams in the Maritimes playing. They're up to 11, 12 games at this point. You've yeah. only been able to call two games. So what have you been doing for the last six or seven weeks? Well, I like to play golf. So uh, we stopped <laughs> play, to play golf like uh, only last week. So that's uh, one thing. But uh, I'm excited also to go back to the rink and uh, let's uh, let's have fun with those uh, junior hockey players. So uh, I'm excited also to, to go back to the Centre de Vautron uh, next week. All right, let's talk about the Rempire on the ice. Uh, what What is yep. this season uh, looking like for the team? Uh, I'm told... It's uh, it's, go it's going to be a better team. It's uh, still a young team. Yep. This might not be the year where they challenge for the for the first place, uh, but it's a it's a growing year, and this team will be very good uh, very soon. That's what they they hope. That's what uh, Patrick Roy and uh, the hockey personnel of the Ramparts hope. In uh, the objective is to go back to the Memorial Cup final. That's the objective for uh, Patrick since he uh, came back two years ago. It's his third year. Uh, since he came back with the Rampart. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's that, uh, there's like 17, 18 years old, uh, seven or eight players that are really interesting, very talented. How will they progress this year? That's what will, uh, decide the kind of year the Ramparts will have this year, 2020 and 2021. But beginning next year and uh, in two years, uh, they hope to be for the, Three, four best teams uh, in the in the queue. That's the uh, that that's the plan for the for the ramparts, and uh, it will be exciting to see them progress uh, during the next few months. Who are the players on the team that uh, will be the leaders that we expect? Not just maybe uh, the guys who will score the most goals and the most most points, but yep. who, you know who are the captains? Who are the leaders of the team? 
The leaders are the overagers, but they're not the most talented players. Okay. The captain is Thomas Caron. He's a fourth-year player in the queue. He's uh, with the Ramparts uh, uh, for all his junior career. It's a third-liner. He's a big guy, a good leader. So he'll be the, the model for the young guys that uh, are arriving in the queue. Hunter Holmes is another guy with the A on, the, on his sweater. He was He's uh, from Ontario. He was... Uh, Uh, claimed last year by the Ramparts. Patrick likes his, uh, his attitude, his, uh, his work ethic. Uh, he's a good player, but he's not the most talented players of the Ramparts. The most talented players are the guys like uh, James Malatesta, uh, Theo Rochette. Those are the two best forwards. Uh, Pierre Dubé is a 19-year-old that should be one of the best players this year for the, for the Ramparts. He probably will be one of the best scorers this year. And the Ramparts have a, a good duo in net with uh, an overager, Thomas Sigouin, and a young goaltender, William Rousseau, who uh, was thinking about going to the U.S., but with the COVID-19, uh, it's a little bit tougher for the young guys to go there. So he decided to come back here in Quebec. And uh, as a 17-year-old, he has a good potential, maybe an NHL potential. So he's one of the two uh, goaltenders. And the Ramparts on defense, they are young and talented also. There's a guy by the name of Evan Naus. Um, he played uh, last year with the Sioux Falls in the USHL, and he decided to come back here in Canada to uh, uh, progress as a hockey player. So uh, the Ramparts took him uh, with the fifth choice last uh, QNJHL draft. He's another guy who uh, the NHL scouts uh, will look after. So uh, there's many young young guys, D, but uh, maybe not this year. But it's an ex exciting team to see, I guess, uh, on the ice, the Quebec Ramparts. And I know some of the teams in the queue don't have their import players yet, but it looks like uh, the Rampart do. A, a couple of players from Finland came come over, what, uh, or mid-October, something like that. Yeah, I did not see him play uh, yet because uh, I cannot go to the ring. So uh, I'm looking forward to see those two guys. There's a... Uh, defenseman, Apo Simonen. He's uh, 17 years old. He played with uh, uh, older players last year in uh, Finland. And a forward by the name of Viljami Mariella. Uh, he's a prospect for the NHL also. A good shooter. I saw some video of him, but on the ice live, I did not see them. So looking forward to uh, do that also beginning uh, next week. And yes, they, they, uh, they arrived. They did not play the first two games of the Ramparts. They arrived like a few weeks ago. They have to do their quarantine, and after that, they rejoin the, the team on the ice. They're practicing. Uh, it's been 10 days now that mm. they're practicing with their new uh, their new team. So uh, I'm looking forward to see those two Finlands. It's first time for the Ramparts with the Finland import players. Will you, Ray, be able to go to the into the bubble to broadcast the games? And will all the, the, the seven teams, will their broadcasters be allowed in as well? Or are you going to be calling it in a studio uh, like they did for the NHL? No, uh, we're supposed to be okay to go in the bubble. For now, it's that. But uh, as I told you, we're going day by day. But for now, we're talking. We're on Monday, the November the 9th. Mm -hmm. And the decision is that we can go in the bubble. Me and the... Uh, The other play-by-play uh, -play man from the other team, we can be there. I think there's no more media to, to have access in the rink. Like the newspaper journalists will have to do their interviews uh, by phone after or before the game. They cannot come see the game. They will see it by, uh, uh, by, by the web. Uh, 
but uh, they will they, they cannot have access in the rink. I guess it's 34 people by team that have access to the rink, and for now, no media apart from the uh, play-by-play from uh, from each team. Interesting. Have you ever thought that maybe there comes a point where the where the league says we tried, but it's not going very well. Maybe we just did it too soon, and they stop for a month or two. I think so, but uh, you know what? I applaud the uh, the the courage that they have. It's for those young people, young players also. It's only for them that uh, everybody uh, uh, tries to to take some uh, some good decision and tries to. Uh, to make it uh, go ahead, so it's for them for their development. Uh, once it's uh, it started, as it is in the Maritimes, it's going pretty well. I I think it's the only part of Canada who do, do not have COVID nineteen explosion, so that's good for them. But uh, it's going pretty well, and they have some uh, some crowds in there in the Maritimes. For mm-hmm. now, here in Quebec City, no crowds permitted. Maybe uh, after Christmas, they hope that there will be some uh, some crowds. But to, to answer your question, I think that yes, every day they are looking at the situation and they're always talking with the El Public people. There's some discussion, I think, every day with them to see uh, where are we, where are we going, uh, what can we do, when, what can't we do. So, uh, uh, but uh, I applaud the courage of those people. It's for those young guys. The, since 16 to 20 uh, year old hockey player, uh, they want to play, they want to develop, uh, and the safety first, always safety first, of course, as we saw with uh, some teams, there were some uh, some teams that uh, uh, had to be in isolation, as I told you, uh, Drummondville for two weeks, uh, they could not practice, there were like uh, eight, nine uh, people that had COVID-19 in there, uh, at the beginning of the year, the Armada, almost all the team had mm-hmm. COVID-19, so they had to stop uh, two weeks. And from those cases, I guess uh, we uh, we uh, we advance and we uh, we we know more about COVID-19, what we can do and what we have to do better also. So by the examples, I think right now they know more and they are better than like uh, one month uh, uh, the past month. So uh, I think it's going in the right direction. But we have to be always safety first, and that's what the the QNGHL is trying to do. Well said, Ray. Ray, I really appreciate your time. Good to catch up, and uh, I hope uh, we can all enjoy some junior hockey again here soon. Thank you, Guy. Bye-bye. That was uh, Ray Cloutier, voice of the Quebec Rampart. And uh, let's see how the bubble uh, comes together in Quebec City. Fingers crossed. Hopefully it all works out really well. And some of those teams who have barely played this year get a chance to get some uh, games under their belt, and everything goes off without a hitch. Got to be honest, I'll believe it when I see it, because everything that's happened so far in uh, that province in the queue uh, this year has not been so good. Uh, Meanwhile, the Maritime teams just keep clicking along. Everything seems to be great on the East Coast, which uh, might be the motto for the Maritimes. Everything is great. With that, I want to thank all of my guests that you heard from today on this uh, week's episode, and... uh, and remind everybody that uh, if you want to have early access to these interviews, you could have heard some of these, two of them. The first two uh, were done actually late last week. Uh, the other two, the last two, including this one with Ray, I just chatted with him yesterday. So there, there has been early access. But for the first two interviews, patrons have had three, four days uh, to enjoy those ones and hear them before anybody else. If that's something that would interest you, then check out patreon.com slash show and 
your two bucks a month might not be a big thing for you, but uh, in the long run, it means a lot on my end. And I really appreciate the support uh, from uh, longtime listeners and new listeners alike who uh, check out the show, think it has value, and want to see it keep going. I appreciate that for sure. And again, if you are getting your show from iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud or wherever you get it from, please leave a rating, leave a comment for uh, other listeners who maybe haven't tried the show yet and they just come across it and say, what the hell is the Pipeline show? Oh, listen, it's a, it's a hockey prospect show. Well, maybe I'll give it a try. This guy says it's pretty decent or this girl gives it a good rating. That would mean a lot to me and I appreciate those of you who have left comments and ratings already. All right, a little weird timing because this show is coming out on a Tuesday slash Wednesday for some of you. I'm not sure when the next episode will be, if there'll be another one this weekend. I'm thinking probably not, so again, uh, maybe next week. I'm wondering, maybe if the show is coming out on a Wednesday or a Thursday, would that be better? Uh, maybe you can uh, let me know that too. When would you like to see episodes of the Pipeline show come out? I think sometimes they come out on a Friday or a Saturday, and maybe they, they don't get noticed as much uh, by people going into the weekend. So we'll see what the reaction is uh, to episodes that uh, come out early or in the middle of the week. But until the next episode of the Pipeline Show, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya. <laughs>